being very careful not to break the law this week. Welcome to episode 163 of Hand of the Pod. studio this evening are foreign and uh, the Argentine government are attempting to pass a new law, somebody involved with the Argentine government anyway, which says that foreign people committing crime in Argentina will be able to be deported and uh, we don't want to be deported, do we? Oh, no, no, not really. No. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined, as you've just heard this week, by Peter Coates. Hello. And by Andres Bruckner. Hello. Who's in no danger of being deported, because he's Argentine, so there's nowhere to deport no. him to. Um, welcome back, gents. This week we have got some tasty things to get our teeth stuck into, Uh, but I think before we get started on the league action we should mention, if only so that we can get a few listens, and if you'll excuse me just one second. You have just deported it. No, I didn't, I didn't get it, it was a big mosquito. Uh, If only to get a few more listens, sorry for interrupting myself there, listeners, Um, we should mention the national team squad. I feel like playing an Eminem song at this point because guess who's back? Um, Carlos Tevez returns to Argentina um, for the first time in three years and four years and a bit, right? Oh, a, bit, a bit less than four. Because Savela never called him up. No, but it was he was at the Copa America 20, what, 2011 at the Argentina Copa America. Of course, yeah, the qualifiers didn't start until after the 2011 World Cup, did uh, Copa America, did they? Yeah, I forgot. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so for three years and October and three months or so, uh, Carlos Tevez is back in the squad for the first time. What do we think of this gentleman? I, I think that the well, uh, to to start with, we we have to mention Sabella saying that he's a very good player and that the way the reason why he has had called him up was he had the squad just uh, filled. And, and that was the reason no, he didn't mention anything about the group well, he couldn't mention that but um, my, my opinion is that if if he's doing uh, the things necessary to be called up no problems with the group as it has been said we, I have to believe uh, Messi, Macherano who are more or less the, the voices that were con- consulted by by Martino He's not has no they have no problems with him and he's uh, doing uh, quite good things at Juventus. Well, why not? And that's it's a, a good opportunity also to just end the rumors, the, the all the all the things that has have been told uh, during Sabella. Uh, man, how 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 can I tell the the this stuff about yes. Messi and Tevez not getting on and Tevez and. Uh, other people not getting on and stuff which obviously uh, they, they went some way to uh, dispelling themselves a month or two ago when they had a picture taken together they being Tevis and Messi um, in a Milan restaurant um, yeah I'm sort of undecided on it 
his form, club form, deserves a recall, but then his club form before was always really good as well, and his goal-scoring record at international level, frankly underwhelming, um, as, as very regular listeners um, and those who regularly read my articles will be aware I didn't have any particular problem with him being left out, because I think it's 13 goals in 64 appearances or something for Argentina, something around that. Um, I'm not sure how he's going to, to add to it. And I've also seen a few people, including uh, our own uh, friend of Hand of Pod, and he's such a good friend of Hand of Pod that I'm not entirely sure whether either of you two have even met him, because it's bloody ages since he's been on, but Seba, um, saying that in his opinion, he's saying this on Twitter, he's not been saying it to me personally, um, in his opinion, uh, Mauro Icardi uh, is at least as deserving of a call-up as Tevez. He's much younger. He's arguably in, in just as good a form. What do we think? How would Mauro Icardi fit in with the well, team I, ethic and, well, and the group? I think there's a big, the big difference being that from from day one, when uh, Martino has been asked about those players, he's always responded with Tevez to say that the door's open. His response to any question about Icardi seems to be um, more about his lifestyle and that he prefers people who are just footballers. Um, and nothing else, and you know, that I'm sure the journalists like Mauro Icardi, but you know, that there's a lot of um, there seems to be personal things with Icardi which are going to prevent him for the time being getting called up. Is this a bit harsh? Because as somebody, I can't remember, it might have been you, it might have been English Dan, it might have been somebody else pointed out on a last time we mentioned Mauro Icardi on Hand of Pod, which was probably a month or so ago. Um, all of the business with him stealing Maxi Lopez's girlfriend, and who's now Mauro Riccardi's wife, uh, Wanda is it Wanda or the sister? Yeah, I get them mixed up. Yes, Wanda. Thank you. Um, all of that stuff was was reported as him just stealing Maxi Lopez's girlfriend, but in fact, it turned out Maxi Lopez had been unfaithful to her quite a few times before <laughs> yeah. it happened, and so it becomes slightly more forgivable then, albeit that following them on Twitter is no less of a sickening and, and heartbreaking experience. Mm-hmm. For those of us who um, actually, I stopped following on Twitter for exactly that reason. <laughs> yeah. um, it, 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 it started making me angry before going to bed. Um, but should um, a footballer's personal life, let's say, as long as it doesn't affect the the team ethic, obviously, if Tevez and Messi actually did hate each other's guts, then it makes sense to leave Tevez out. But where it doesn't affect any of his teammates, as in the case of of Mauro Riccardi rather liking taking selfies of himself and his wife and his adopted son the whole time and posting them on Twitter when nobody else wants to see them should that affect whether he gets a national team call no I, don't, I, I think you're right to, to say perhaps on, on moral grounds it's difficult to to say that he doesn't warrant a place the only thing I would, I'd say is again I don't, I don't know if this is entirely accurate but um I read that some of the squad are, are pretty close with, with Maxi Lopez, mm. um, including Mascherano. And if that was the case, then I imagine... Two together at River. Well, yeah. Well, I imagine in that case, then if Martino did go to um, people like Mascherano to discuss Tevez's inclusion, and they said, I'm all right with that, but then he but also discussed the Cardi, then I imagine sense, you yeah. might say... Yeah, I'm not too keen on him being in the squad. Bit of a shame that Maxi Lopez gets such a big influence on, <laughs> well, on it. You know, I'm not saying that is the case. Given but... that Maxi Lopez is uh, not, let's say, the most talented Argentine forward of his generation, of my generation, he's one day older than me. Fun fact for you, 
There we go. Um, what do we think of the rest of the squad, though? Because there is more than just Carlos Tevez. He's not the only player who's been called up. Um, we've and Saldi's also one of various them. others. And Saldi, you're right. And there's somebody else who's not been called up for ages as well. Sure. One of the goalkeepers, Willy Cavachero, yeah, for the first time since 2005, yes. I believe. Which is astonishing. That's nine years ago. Yes. Absolutely ages ago. Which makes me feel very old in itself, just the fact that 2005 was that long ago. Um, is it slightly ironic that Cavachero, particularly, there was so much fuss before the last World Cup about the first choice goalkeeper, Sergio Romero, hasn't been playing for his club for almost the last two years, he's, he's a bit part player, he's barely getting any playing time, and Willy Cavachero should be called up in Stoke because he's playing week in, week out for Malaga, doing fantastically. <laughs> and now Willy Cavachero is barely playing for Malaga and he gets an Argentina call. Manchester City. For Manchester City, sorry, he's not playing for Malaga <laughs> at all, um, and, and he's very much second choice at Manchester City, and suddenly he gets called up to the national team. Well, but finally Romero was good at the World Cup. If he had been terrible, uh, terrible, awful, or something like that, and now Cavallero is being called up, you should say why? Why Isabella didn't call him for 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 World Cup and that stuff? That stuff. Now, now it's no discussion about the well because Martino could say that he has he his own taste of about players, and, and, and he has called them Saldi has called. Uh, Gaitan for second time has called Amela while, while uh, Sabela hasn't uh, uh, ha- hasn't called up uh, those players uh, for any, any any match or any friendlies or, or any competition. So uh, I think about goalkeeper is no any any anything to say about well he has been called up before or, or something like that. He had a good level, but. Romero, the World Cup, the, the, uh, demonstrated a good, a good level that he has been at the height of a national team. And, and for me, this is it. It's not something to care about. Jolly good. We have here the list of players, just as soon as it loads. I hope we've got the list of players somewhere on this page. Yes, we have. Uh, so here are all of them. Goalkeepers, Sergio Romero, Nahuel Guzman, um, and Wilfredo Cavachero. Defenders, Nicolas Otamendi, nice to see him back in. His career has not been entirely ruined by Maradona's uh, use of him in the 2010 World Cup. Facundo Roncaglia, Marcos Rojo. If he's still in at the end of this season, then hopefully that's because he's improved an awful lot from a Manchester United fan's point of view. Martin Delicelis, Pablo Sabaleta, Federico Facio, Federico Fernandez, and Ezequiel Garay. Midfielders, Javier Mascherano, Eber Banega. Uh, Roberto Pereira still in it after his call up of course uh, for the last squad Lucas Piglia Angel Di Maria Eric Lamela Javier Pastore Enzo Perez Nicolas Gaetan and forwards Carlos Tevez Lionel Messi Gonzalo Iguain and Sergio Aguero we're going to see a couple at least of call ups from the local league again I would have thought no I think I think well at least very loud aeroplane passing overhead. That might be Christina's helicopter, actually, if it's directly overhead sometimes. Um, there was a discussion today on a, on a TV show saying that uh, Martina hasn't called up any any local uh, teams for players playing uh, here in Argentina. He's not going to, is he not? Ha- that he hasn't pl- uh, called up. I don't know if he, he has time to call any 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 more players or, or the list is full with this. Uh, but in that case... There was there will be no discussion about the. Oh, it's a twenty-five man list of yes. So there will so, be yeah. there will be any arguments or discussions about the why why has have you called up any player for for my for my team? Well, Carlos Sanchez has been called up for Uruguay, so 
uh, River will, will lose him. Yes, we'll get onto that in a minute. But uh, of course, part of the uh, the, the fuss is, is the fact that um, various players, and particularly from a couple of clubs, River and Boca, Boca slightly more bafflingly perhaps at the moment, but still um, have tended to be called up for these. Also, Newells and Vélez to a certain extent, and Lanús, I suppose. Um, and uh, River president Rodolfo Donofrio just said just the other day, hopefully none of our players get called up for the national teams now. Obviously, Colombia. Do Colombia have friendlies coming up? I don't remember now, but uh, not heard of it. They, they will have, uh, if not now uh, in December, because they, 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 it was said that the River will have to pray, Peckerman, uh, not to call any. Anybody, well, in, in this case, will be Alvarez Valanta and Teo Gutierrez, who are the, the only two Colombian players in the this, in this squad. Let's see, Colombia friendlies, December 2014. Can't see anything there. Well, I can't see anything for the main Google page. They, they are not confirmed, but uh, I, I heard the, the other day that, well, they will have to to light some candles uh, in order not to be called uh, for Alvarez Baranta and, and Teo Gutierrez. Alvarez Baranta had to come in yesterday uh, 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 as a substitute for Pancioni and he, he was very good. So uh, Here we go, they play in London against the United States uh, on the 14th of November. Interesting choice yes. of venue. Um, and in Ljubljana against Slovenia which at least is actually in the country they're playing against that's controversial really given how uh, so the international friendlies work these days on the 18th of November so the same dates as Argentina's games against Croatia I think it is isn't it and Portugal yes Croatia's um, in London on the same day isn't it it is yes but I'm uh, expressing surprise at playing the United States in London because the United States has actually been the venue for Colombia's last three friendlies and none of those were against the United <laughs> States and, uh, up to now, there was no co- no official uh, or, or anything about uh, AFA saying if, if there will be a, a stop of the of the tournament, they will stop or not. We should we think that they will they won't. But uh, considering it is AFA, November dates. Yes. Well, they won't be doing well. They've already set the the dates, I think. No, but I, I mean, if they ha- they will stop the tournament, they will be a, there will, won't be played any rounds for. During the, 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 the time that the, mm. the the players will be, oh, but it, this one, is not AFA. This is Colombia because yes. Uh, one thing that ah, I see right, you're talking about the Colombian Federation. Yes. Sorry, yeah. Uh, one thing that has been t- taking it back to the AFA and talking about something very similar that that has been um, almost confirmed is the uh, structure of the of next year's Primera División. At least they're talking about it. The big vote is in a couple of weeks' time, I believe. Um, and it's going to be 30 teams, everybody's going to play everybody else once, there's going to be followed by the classical being played, the reverse fixture, so you play Boca twice if you're River, and vice versa, um, and everybody else just the once. And at least to bring some level of sensibleness to it, the Promedios remain, still going to have relegation via the Promedios, but at least to bring some sense of, of sensibleness to it, the league is going to be brought to a halt for international days. There are going to be no more Argentine domestic matches on FIFA dates, which I think is a cause of rejoicing, so, right, for River, <laughs> at least at the moment. So they will keep. They will keep the things like they are, they are now. Uh, they won't stop any 
uh, they won't. Uh, the rounds will be played normally if uh, uh, anyway if there is a, a FIFA date or, or FIFA friendlies date. Exactly. Yeah. If it's a FIFA so date, then that keeps like it, like no club football. Yes. Well, that is not good because of course uh, if, if Martino wants to try any local player, they he the 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 teams will be of course. Not, uh, they won't agree with that, and they will, uh, discussions will keep. So, why why don't they solve uh, things with the uh, wait stopping the the the? the no, that's the, what I'm saying. Going to happen. They're going to. There's going to be no Argentine league football. Ah, no Argentine. Ah, sorry, sorry. I, uh, I I understand it. I understood the other way around. So no, no, they're, yes. they're going to be uh, pausing the league as happens in Europe. Because Martino said states, which said, which is of course has. A, reasonably that uh, if if any club doesn't want to 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 give the players for for national team well it's okay they won't call that players but it will be something that will prejudice uh, the players also not only that yeah. the team because of course they Funes Mori Van Hyonin, for example if they you ask them uh, do you want to play for national team what will they say of course so It's good for. I think there's a bit of a balancing line to the awards with that kind of thing, though, because when it's it, particularly in a league like Argentina, where it, it's not the Premier League, every club isn't full of internationals for one country or another, um, and you've got essentially the, the top. Well, at the moment, for instance, to use the, the current example, you've got River, who've got a few internationals, and then a smattering of them in the other sides, mostly the sides who are fighting for the title as well. It enormously prejudices the outcome of the, the championship. I mean, as it happens in this championship, it's not doing because River have somehow managed to keep this astonishing run going anyway. Um, but it, it has the potential to, to to prejudice the outcome of the the league system. And so, yeah, you can say, well, he's going to get one or two less, fewer international caps and it's going to affect his career adversely that way. But it also might end up denying that player a league title. Yeah. You know, an actual medal, which <laughs> which also uh, prejudices the the player. Um, it might not, of course, but but it might do. So I think that there's a balancing act to be walked, and that the sensible thing to do is for the league to make sure that there's no football being played on international dates, which is, after all, why FIFA have that regulation, which the AFA have always ignored before now for reasons that I'm not entirely sure about. Anyway, that's the international squad discussion gone, um, and now 20-ish minutes, 18. 17 or 18 minutes in, uh, it's time to look at the weekend just gone in the Argentine League and also some of last week because last week we finished recording and then myself and Andres and uh, Neil, our special guest, went and found a bar near here in uh, San Telmo, a cafe really, and, and had some dinner and watched uh, Capiata versus Boca Juniors. Yes. Eating a Milanese, a schnitzel will be called for that. It's a bread. Yes, indeed it is. Meat with bread well, and fried. I don't know about other British people, but I never had a clue what a schnitzel was until I looked up what the English for Milanese no. was. Uh, that was how I found out that it was called schnitzel. I'd heard the word schnitzel, didn't know what it referred to until then. But anyway, yeah, it, it is a schnitzel. Um, and uh, Peter's looking at me with a look. <laughs> no, no, I'm the, I'm the same. I mean, I've heard the word schnitzel in all my years in England. I've never mm. sat down somewhere and oh, ordered okay. or had anyone order a schnitzel. No. In fact, even a lot of Argentines, uh, the restaurants and stuff, the English translations, if you go to the touristy areas, uh, don't seem to know that it's called a schnitzel. They refer to it as breadcrumb chicken or breadcrumb meat, or whatever, veal as well. Uh, 
things like that. Anyway, yeah, we sat, we sat down to one of those and we enjoyed Kapia Tavas as Boca Juniors and, and we um, enjoyed the sights of plucky little Boca Juniors uh, with their mere five Coppers Libertadores and two Coppers Sudamericanas or however many years, um, fighting back and overcoming the mighty Capieta on penalties after a late-ish 78 minutes, was it? The, the aggregate equaliser slash winner on the night for Boca um, from... Oh, who was it who scored it? Yes, it was, well remembered. The score of, Caleri, the, yeah. of the goal was Caleri. Yeah. Um, so Boca are in the quarter-final of the Coppa Sudamericana. They kick it off in... Just under an hour and a half. Uh, no, just over an hour and a half. It kicks off at half past nine um, from when we record, so it will have been played already by the time we, uh, by the time this episode goes out. They're playing Cerro Porteño, another Paraguayan side. Um, I have to say, I don't fancy their chances much against Cerro Porteño because watching Cerro Porteño against Lanús in the last round, Cerro looked rather a lot better than Capiata. It must be said. Whilst Capiata have now become my Paraguayan club after beating. But at this moment it wasn't sure for Oscar Romero to be included into the starting eleven. Oscar Romero is one of the most uh, important players of Cerro Porteño. Scorer, uh, I don't know if Ralph has, have told you something about he him. Two in the first leg. But he scored both goals in the first leg of against Lanús and was I think the man of the match against Lanús in the second one. Mm. So uh, and now uh, I think he got, he got injured against Rubio New for the local league match and and now he was well not sure to be included. So okay, so that's a boost for Boca. Yes. Um, we will find out how they do next week. Uh, we have had, however, we recorded last week after River um, had sealed their passage and after Estudiantes had sealed their own indeed to the quarterfinals. Uh, with their victories over Libertad for River and a penalty shootout victory over Estudiantes, uh, over <laughs> Peñarol for Estudiantes. Um, Estudiantes played River in La Plata in the first leg of the quarterfinal and chapter one of three matches between those two clubs that are coming up in the next few days because they have each other in the league on Sunday, uh, followed, of course, by the second leg of the Sudamericana tie, which I think is next Thursday. It's on the 6th. Yes, Thursday, Thursday at 9.30. Yes. Um... And it was a familiar story last night. But first of all, to get into why it's a familiar story... Seventh match. We need to talk about uh, the weekend when River, uh, with 1-0 down at half-time to Atletico de Rafaela, and had uh, a couple of clubs breathing down their necks because Lanús managed a 1-0 victory over San Lorenzo earlier on Sunday, and Independiente uh, beat Tigre 3-1. So they were keeping up the pressure on... uh, That was on Saturday, so they kept up the pressure on River. River were 1-0 down at half-time to a goal from Diego... Is it Diego Montiel? It is Diego Montiel, that was wrong. No, yes, Diego Armando Montiel. Yes. Oh, of course, yeah, he's, and his brother's called Juan Roman. Yeah. <laughs> apparently. So we, we assume that he is a... It's, it's down Boca, to massive Boca. Very Boca supporter. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah he is. Uh, I, I saw something the, the day after in the newspaper about it. Um, yes, uh, Diego Montiel and Rafaela Atletico. Rafaela looking very, very good and, and deserving the lead and River. Really, you start to think, well, is this the point where it comes unstuck? Is this the point where that lengthy unbeaten run ends and it turned out that no it wasn't uh, Leonardo Pisculici equalised with a spectacular free kick four minutes into the second half Ariel Rojas uh, scored the what turned out to be the winner with 25 minutes to go um, and a very similar story yesterday in La Plata Estudiantes comfortably the better side in the first half probably maybe possibly should have had a penalty after about 
10 minutes or 15 yes. minutes or so. Um, when Marcelo Barrovero brought down Roman Martinez, they got away with that, but Diego Vera gave them the 1 0 half time lead, and in the second half, again, it was like watching a different river. Um, Marcelo Gachardo said after the Lanús results a few weeks ago when Lanús were leading 1-0 at half time and everybody was going oh how are we going to get out of this and they got the 1-1 draw Gachardo said to a couple of journalists afterwards uh, I like the attitude that we're showing and I'm getting the impression that if you want to beat us you're going to have to kill us which is a very famous phrase that Diego Maradona came out with uh, about Germans he said if, if you want to beat them you have to kill them um, River's starting to look that way even when they don't play particularly well in the first half they're, they're stepping it up and their unbeaten run now is 29 matches which is the joint best unbeaten run by a River Plate team in the whole of the professional era which began in 1931 this is in all competitions not in, uh, in the league alone um, in the league alone it's 21 games unbeaten and it's too short i.e. these two games against the Estudiantes short of being River's joint best unbeaten run ever, including the amateur era. They went 31 matches unbeaten in 1922. And it's seven, seventh match, I think, since Gachardo is the coach, that they, they concede a first goal and then they don't lose. Um, it's so also the third, I think, the third away game in a row, which they've gone in 1-0 down at half-time and ended up winning the match, I think. Something like that. Gachardo's the first, the second River coach ever yeah. to win his first five international matches and if he wins the second leg against the Studiantes, he'll be the only rugby coach ever to win his first six. They're was knocking down records left, right and centre. Does this say more about the strength of the league at the moment than it does about how good River are? But it was Semi-serious first, question. first match ever for Estudiantes. It's a first defeat ever for Estudiantes against a, an Argentinian... Another second. Argentinian... Second. No, no, as a, low, as a home, ah, home course, condition yeah. is the first one. Yes, mm. second, time, second time ever and... and First one as home. Yeah, the first one that, that I think they lost the away against leg Rassing. against Racing in the yes. 1969 Supercopa or the Intercontinental Supercopa or something like that. Um, but seriously, this this Riverside are, are beating records that are set by La Machina, set by the great sides of the 1980s and 90s, set by you know some of the finest sides in the history of Argentine football. They haven't won any trophies yet, so we can't say they're the finest side in the history of Argentine football they've won one league title yes. they're possibly going to get another although kudos to both Lanús and Independiente for even keeping up with them given how astonishing this, this uh, run of river on at the moment is Lanús are only four points behind them in any other season almost Lanús would be top of the table at the moment on 27 points after 13 games given that this Riverside are not the Real Madrid of the 1950s given that they're not the River Plate of the 1940s or the Racing of the, of the 1910s, does it say slightly more, perhaps, about the strength of the Argentine League today and South American football more generally, but really, even in the Sudamericana, River only played uh, Libertad so far from outside Argentina because the first round there was against Godoy Cruz, of course. So does it say more about the domestic competition than it does about how good River are? Peter, because Andres is getting um, a bit sore, but you've not spoken for a couple of minutes. Um, yeah, right. Without wanting to dampen um, River's success too much, I think it, it does say a lot about the the league at present. Um, I mean, however good this current Riverside are, if we're actually going to compare them, I think to even ju- just Riversides, not historic sides in the history of Argentina. 
talk over the dogs. Um, I think it would be very difficult to, to argue that this current side are better than like the teams you mentioned, like, you know, and, and the teams in the 80s and 90s. For me, I, I mean, not that I saw those teams on a regular basis. No, of course. Um, but... but reading about them and knowing the players in this current side I don't, I don't think we, even with the broken records that we can say this is the best side and also just having witnessed you know, the reason I asked the question is of course I've not seen I've, I've seen as much of Lamarckian as you probably possibly slightly more a couple of brainy videos on YouTube <laughs> but maybe two minutes more <laughs> as a whole um, but the reason I asked the question is that you know both you and I Peter have grown up in a different footballing culture we've come here we've been watching Argentine football for a few years but in that time relatively short time we've seen a decline in the quality of the league when I started watching it 11 or 12 years ago it was notably better than it is now um, and nobody was pretending then that it was the best league in the world it was certainly very exciting very competitive but it wasn't you know the highest standard um, whereas in the 1940s and 50s it actually might have been the best league in the world yeah. uh, particularly in the 40s given the, the strength that there was here um, at that point um, and, and so it's sort of without as you say wanting to, to do down anything it's a remarkable achievement Marcelo Gachaldo's uh, unbeaten run since he took charge is already the second longest of any river manager ever only behind Toro Gachego in the 1990s 94-95 I think it was um, but sort of wanted to consider it's not the strongest <laughs> of leagues at the moment and how would they shape up against against those teams it's interesting to to wonder um, I think when you look back at the, those great sides there's individuals in those sides that you could probably put up there as you know within their eras in world football as genuine leaders La Machina being the the, the central uh, uh, team whenever you have to talk about this is not only because we're discussing River but you know there, there were teams in this league who had some of the most important players ever we're talking about the team who are Di Stefano yeah had difficulty breaking into <laughs> exactly and I think when you look at this this River team however impressive they are in this division and you look at the best the best players in the team there's no way you could possibly make an argument that these are some of the, the best players in, in world football. Mm. Which is not to say that it's not tremendously entertaining. No, 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 absolutely. And, and as I said, I don't want to sound like oh, the non-River fan trying to say, oh, well, they're not that good. Because, as you said, the other teams who are just getting close uh, performing, are sort of punching above their weight and, and kudos to them to be able to, to keep touch with this River side because they've been far and away the, the best side in the in the Premier of this season. So yeah. I, I don't want to sound like that bitter non-River fan yeah. Just because your side are five points behind them in the <laughs> yeah. rest of the title, but now that we've said that, uh, they they do deserve a mention. Independiente, are the second highest scorers in the league, uh, with twenty four points. Lanús are the, in fact, fourth highest scorers in the league because Racing have scored twenty two and Lanús have scored twenty. But Lanús are the team in second. They're four points behind um, River and beat San Lorenzo only one nil the other day which given that they're playing a San Lorenzo side who've looked pretty crap for a while now and with the play that was some polemic again uh, because there uh, there was the defender missing in the San Lorenzo yeah. uh, at that moment just because Romero elbowed Kahneman Kahneman has to have to be assisted the, outside the the, 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 the pitch and, and, and just at that moment uh, Romero made a 
Just Romero made a, a, a very good play mm. and, and assisted the Lautaro Costa who finally scored. So as a result of which Edgardo Bausa, the San Lorenzo manager, got himself sent off for protesting. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, San Lorenzo very much one eye on the Club World Cup at the moment, and um, they themselves, by the way, in case you're tuning into to get an update on the Club World Cup competitors are 14th in the league um, we're hoping it's not going to be easy because of his schedule and my schedule but we're hoping to be able to get Mariano our resident San Lorenzo fan on uh, before he heads off to Morocco with the team because he's actually doing that well he's not going with the team but he's going to support the team oh, I, I, um, I really thought he would be there with I think Marcier for example or I know Farini, for example, one of the most. Uh, if I can talk him into getting Ortigosa on the hop on the podcast, uh, then then I shall try to. But uh, whether he's got the sway to do it, I'm not sure. Uh, but we shall see. Hopefully, we'll be able to get Mariano on to preview San Lorenzo's chances in the Club World Cup towards the end of the championship. Uh, but Lanús, kudos to them. Um, third best defense in the league as well, behind River and who knows Tigre. who's, who's oh. got the second best defense in the league. It's not Tigre. No, I'll be there. Uh, Gymnasia, who have conceded just 11 goals and scored only 9, uh, which is remarkably low, particularly in this high-scoring um, season of all of them. Tigres have conceded 16, slightly surprisingly. Um, that, as we said, kept up the pressure on uh, on River, that, that Lanús victory and, and River uh, showed that they could handle the pressure a little bit later. Uh, but other results from the weekend were Belgrano won Cordoba, Rosario Central nil um, on Friday and then on Saturday Independiente's 3-1 win over Tigre which we shall talk about in a second with Peter uh, Vélez Sarsfield got a 1-0 win over Banfield which I think is Vélez's third win in four matches or something like that without looking uh, I think it was the second in nine yeah yes it was their second win in nine games but yeah. it was also the second in three because they they won one and yeah. then they lost away last weekend and then they won yeah. again at home this weekend that, that sounds about right Newell's old boys against Godoy Cruz. We told you last week that this match was going to finish 3-3 and we were almost right. Uh, what we actually told you was that both teams were going to score because Godoy Cruz's defence couldn't organise a piss-up in a brewery. And thus it proved. Uh, Godoy Cruz led 2-1 going into stoppage time and their defence completely fell apart and allowed Maxi Rodriguez to score a quite spectacular but not particularly well-defended equaliser two minutes into stoppage time. So that was 2-2. Olimpo and Racing drew 1-1 in Bahia Blanca. Estudiantes beat Quilmes 1-0 uh, Lanús San Lorenzo we've already mentioned that was 1-0 to Lanús Boca Juniors beat Defensa Justicia 2-0 with two fine goals from Juan Manuel Martinez and on Monday evening the only real surprise with Arsenal versus Gimnasia was that there was in fact a goal it was a dire match Brian Aleman's goal it must be said was worthy of winning any game um, but it itself was a pretty bad game which Arsenal won 1-0 Peter Independiente they remain very much Business up front and party at the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but they look good again going forward. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, they scored after about what fifty surprise. seconds or something. Yeah, yes, just a minute or so on the clock. And, um, and in fact, it was that man Lucero who last week was saying, "I know I've not scored enough. I owe it to the fans to score." And he got two of them. Yeah, he scored the first, the, the first two, um, which is his first goal since the opening day. Hmm. Um, which was which was good to see for an in, from Independiente. I mean, obviously we've leaned heavily on the goals of Federico Manquecho, Um and it's been the the people who have been rotating as the kind of strikers that have not really been pulling their weight. When you look at Riano, 
um, Benko when, they, when they've come in have not really done enough um, so it would be a, a huge boost if Lucero was to start scoring between now and the end of the season and take some of that weight off Manquesha. Yeah, but of course, like, the other goal was the Federico Manquesha, his second attempt at yeah. an, an Olympico, and this one actually wasn't Olympico because the, the other week he travelled against Godoy Cruz, which got stolen off the line by him. By, Saliti. By who? Zalati. Zalati. No, Saliti scored it. Scored the goal. Alexis Zalati. Sarate, sorry, he, I thought it was saying he Saletti, was going to be to to go to the net and, and Sarate just pushed the ball into the into it. Yes. So yes, yes, stolen in the sense of uh, it went down as a yeah, Sarate yes. goal instead of uh, instead yes. of a man question. I think that there's I, I I very much like this. It's something I noticed uh, that Riquelme does as well, which is one of the lesser remarked aspects of Juan Roman Riquelme's game. Uh, but I noticed it when he was at Villarreal. Is that he he attempts an Olympico at least once a match. If it doesn't come off, then he won't attempt it again in that game. But he, he'll attempt it once every game. So that a goalkeeper who's paying attention to his corner-taking becomes wary. You don't know whether he's going to shoot yeah. or whether he's going to pop it into the 60-yard box. And so it, it puts the goalkeeper in two minds. And clearly Manquesha's doing it as well, because Independiente has scored from two of them in yeah. the last three or four matches. Yeah, he seems to, yeah, as you say, he does seem to actually even attempt them. <laughs> with virtually every free kick. He doesn't mm. even just say, I'll do one again. He does it with every single one. Indeed, uh, I was I was present, by the way, at the last um, Olimpico that, that Independiente scored prior to that weekend. Do you know when it was? It was, it was during the match they lost four three away to Argentinos Juniors towards the end of the twenty ten Torneo Clausura. Um, I can't remember the name of the goal scorer, but I was there, and uh, according to a stat account on Twitter, that was the the, the previous Olimpico. An Olimpico for new listeners who maybe don't have the. Uh, footballing Spanish vocabulary um, that most of our frequent listeners will have is a goal scored direct from a corner kick um, thus called because it was first done in the Olympic Games it was didn't count because at the time the laws didn't allow for it they got the rules changed and then another match between the same two teams it was Argentina against Uruguay um, the opposing team did it I think Uruguay scored it in the Olympics protested that it should have been allowed got the law changed and then Argentina did it to them about two weeks later in a friendly in Barracas in fact not very far away from here which had a stadium at the time quite a large one apparently 40,000 seater in Barracas can you imagine that near Constitución train station sounds terrifying doesn't it I always want to go skating Independiente were training there apparently today there's a sports complex somewhere in Barracas where Independiente were training never heard of it Anyway, uh, to drag this kicking and screaming back to the present day and the subject at hand, that was Tigre's second defeat in three matches, following what had been a pretty impressive uh, transformation in their form since Gustavo Alfaro took charge. He won his first four league games in a row. Since when, he has lost 4-3 away to Godoy Cruz, drawn 1-1 at home to Arsenal, which was Arsenal's first away point of the season, and lost 3-1 away to Independiente. Um, and Tigre, it must be said, don't have the easiest fixture list coming up to end the tournament, uh, to end the championship. They're at home to Lanús this weekend, then they visit Boca Juniors, and then they're at home to Newell's, who admittedly the way they're playing might not be all that difficult, um, before travelling to Belgrano, hosting Rafaela, and then visiting Estudiantes on the last day. Yes, no he's... Have we seen all of the points that we're going to see Tigre win now in that flurry of wins by, uh, by Alfaro? Is Alfaro going to be in as much shit at the end of the championship as, as Allegri was immediately before Alfaro took over? You'd hope that they'd be able to get something other than six defeats from those. Indeed. 
but it's I mean no, it's, it's not an easy run no it's not at all is, is the, the point I mean it's certainly against Atletico looks like way this last three results is like put some, some doubts on the on that solid structure that he had mm. built when, when he assumed as as, as, as Tigre coach because up to the match against Code Cruz which they were about about to win after that they they didn't win anymore uh, they like you say they only t uh, took a, a draw against uh, Arsenal and then lost against Independiente this this last weekend yeah I mean, let's uh, not forget against Godoy Cruz they were 3-1 up um, yes. just over an hour in and then they threw it away and they ended up losing 4-3 um, that was whatever it was uh, three three rounds ago speaking um, as a non-Degray fan who doesn't really care about the results though, at least uh, now their games are not sleep inducing I mean yes. previously it was, they were one of the teams that you just thought right they were playing on a Monday night I can go out because there's no point staying in to watch that whereas at least uh, since Alfaro took over they've actually been scoring goals shipping a few and they've been actually quite enjoyable to watch indeed yeah so from the neutral point of view yeah much better um, and talking of the neutral point of view Godoy Cruz deserve um, a, a bit of a mention although we have already mentioned their um, spectacularly bad defence uh, it is now this can't possibly be correct but I saw somebody tweet that in the 1970s Kilnes of all sides set a record of scoring at least two goals or it might have been conceding at least two goals in five consecutive league matches and apparently Godoy Cruz last weekend became the first side to equal that which I find incredible because it's only five straight games of two or more goals you'd have thought that some of the you know Great sides would have won by a few more than that. Uh, but oh, is it they so, which is why I think it might be conceding. I can't remember whether it said conceding or scored. But the last five results, in any case, either way it works, because the last five results have been 2 2, 3 3, 4 3, 2 3, 2 2, um, which is quite something. The two before that were a 2 1 defeat and a 3 0 defeat. So, in fact, they've conceded two or more for the last seven games in a row now. It's getting ridiculous. Um, Godoy Cruz's um, goals conceded tally for the whole championship is to 27 a number that's only surpassed by Rivers' goals scored which is 28 um, and they've scored 21 which is more than Lanús who are in second place mm -hmm. if Godoy Cruz could sort their defence out then they could be up there as well fighting for the title like the, um, the anti-independiente very much yeah <laughs> In the Independiente are almost as bad defending as they are attacking, yeah. or like Chris are almost as good at attacking as they are defending, uh, as they are bad at defending. Um, any other results that jumped out at you from that weekend, Gus? You forgot to mention Boca against Defensa Justicia 2-0. We did say that uh, yeah, Juan Manuel Martinez got a couple of very well taken goals. Well, the second um, one was a, just an absolute howl, wasn't it? It was. The, I can't the, remember the goalkeeper. First one was well taken. Yeah, it's very well taken. But the second one was the goalkeeper tried to do this stupid little. Like, oh, you're right. Yeah, tried to flick it over and um, Chavez wasn't it? Muscled, yeah. out muscled the the defender who uh, it was the number five uh, Neri Leches who tried to volley it over his shoulder and then saw Chavez yeah. charging down. It was a disaster. You're right. I've forgotten about it. And uh, Martinez just passed it into an empty net from the but edge of the box. For example, yesterday there was a blooper or something similar made by. By Romero Funes Mori, who tried to uh, uh, dribble uh, Diego Vera. Diego Vera uh, just uh, uh, took the ball and, and scored. And, and, and but Ram you say you saw Romero Funes Mori 
uh, immediately ha having his head like his two hands on his head and, and couldn't, he couldn't believe the mistake that, that he had made mm. and you said the other day uh, the, that blooper against between Pellegrino and Eddie Leches that made Boca score the second goal and they were like well it's no matter it's okay come on you, you they, they 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 made a, 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 a ter terrible play with which if they if, if Pellegrino had blown the ball away it was one nil and with possibilities of, of perhaps yeah exactly I mean let's just culpable to a certain extent perhaps but really it was Pellegrino's fault the yes. goalkeeper yes, yes. Um, obviously slightly different expectations between River after and that and he Asia. just uh, cleared the ball <laughs> uh, yeah as he should have done in the first place um, but I think defensively this year going to be strengthened it's sorry to interrupt but they, yeah. they're strengthened this weekend have we seen how they're going to be strengthened Diego Bichar, everybody's favourite bearded midfielder, apart from possibly Peters because you're an Independiente fan, uh, has joined on loan for two months from Racing because somebody for De Defensa Justicia has broken a crucial ligament or something. Not broken, obviously, but that's the word they use in Spanish. Mm. <laughs> um, don't know why there, there was not the same rule for Boca. No, I'm a bit confused, but it's when it happens before halfway through the season and they're going to be out for the rest of the season you're allowed an emergency loan mm. or if you've only got so many registered first team players or something like that there's some reason that they're allowed it and that if he'd got injured a couple of weeks later they wouldn't have been um, but they're signing uh, in fact they have signed Diego Richard on an emergency loan for the rest of the season so he was uh, not being taken into account as the phrase goes here by Racing's manager whose name I've forgotten uh, who's called <laughs> Diego Coca, how did I forget that? Bloody hell. Um, uh, for the rest of the season, so he's, he's moved to Defensa Justicia for the rest of the year, so good luck to him at the bus company job. Um, and now, we're going to play some music. Uh, Peter and I are going to refill our glasses, and Andres and Nick can refill his as well, if he wants to. Um, and when we come back, we shall discuss very briefly... In fact, no, we're, we're going to discuss Argentinos Juniors in that they've had a listener's question asked about them. So we will ask some listener's questions, which will involve a bit of discussion about Argentinos Juniors. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we have had, first of all, I'm going to go to email and ask, because we've had a couple of listeners questions uh, via email this week. You're welcome to email me questions. It's sam at astalegoalsiempre.com, or you can use the contact form on the Hand of Pod blog, um, if that's a bit complicated for you to type out. Uh, for non-Spanish speakers, we have had a question from, first of all, last week we had a question from David Ellingham. Um which I forgot to ask because he sent it about three days in advance and I asked the other one that he'd emailed us and forgot about this one. Uh, so I told him that I would ask it again. Um, he says, whilst watching the recent Rosario Clásico, I wondered how much of an impact has the ban on away fans had at the atmospheric games, on the atmospheric games, sorry, 
And at halftime during the same game, the television coverage seemed to show a guy in the crowd make, take, painting a picture of a naked woman. <laughs> what was that about? So, first of all, the, last, the second question is very, very quick and easy to answer. Uh, it's a programme that Football Paratodos are doing uh, called Culture and Football, in which they get artists on to paint pictures of the crowd. Why it was a naked lady, I've no idea. I didn't see uh, the painting in question. Uh, but it's there at most of the matches at the moment, some artists going, yes, and this is, uh, and talking about their art. Uh, it's very non-Brian Sewell for our listeners uh, from the UK. But, uh, there, were, there were also almost naked ladies of the Bombonera, or no? The Boquitas, the, the, <laughs> the girls that are, there are dancing called Porritas here. With the cheerleaders, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, indeed, yes. Uh, but uh, the impact, the, the Banner and Away fans huge impact on the atmosphere of games um, uh, Peter how long have you been living here? two years two years so you got here just before six months or so before it came in yeah, yeah. no when, like, when, I, when I first came to Washington course, well, yeah. in 2011 obviously um, the away fans are still there in fact I, yeah. my only occasion at La Bombonera was as an away fan with Godoy Cruz with Godoy Cruz <laughs> yeah interesting okay um it's affected it hugely. I, I've been here since April 2010 and came to a few matches here uh, in 2003. I came to my first game here and, and sat underneath the away fans uh, at River in the, the lower stand, in, in the stand in which the upper tier is the away section and the away fans in question for that match were Nueva Chicago um, and River got given a penalty with 10 minutes to go which they won the game from and that was interesting watching all of the, the chairs rain down on the section of of uh, empty seats fortunately in front of us because everybody was pissing down with rain so we were all underneath the, the canopy anyway um, we can say that there were there are no away fans except Mendoza and Santa Fe indeed because those because, aren't Argentina yes. it's important to remember and Bayadlanca which okay. is Buenos Aires province so it's slightly harder for the uh, borderline xenophobic comments to, to hold water then because, because neutral of course <laughs> but those neutral fans um, they, they, they paid 1,000 pesos in order to get a ticket against mm. Rafaela, and some of them, I think, I, I read some from someone on Twitter that they weren't allowed to get into the Atletico yeah, Rafaela Stadium, and they were they complain. It's it's hilarious. How you can complain about buying a ticket well, for a neutral fan for because uh, because they've sold the ticket. They, 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 they've sold the ticket and it's up to the club to make sure that they're uh, comp completed, with the, completed with the regulations but if they've taken the money from the fans uh, then it's it's tricky I think it, there, there are two sides to the coin but the question's about the atmosphere anyway and, uh, the yes. atmosphere at stadiums has been massively affected it's a very yes. very bizarre thing to be in the home end of a stadium and to see the away team score a goal and the stadium goes silent sometimes or at other times the noise just redoubles and builds up again because the crowd wants to get behind the club but it's always deeply bizarre um, the Super Classico uh, was the last match that I went to and, and just seeing Boca score in front of, of the stand we that I was sitting in we know celebration and exactly I mean you see the, the players are celebrating on the pitch and you see the Monumental just fall silent um, obviously particularly I was there although I am a river sympathiser I was there as a neutral football journalist because I'm was i writing an, an article on that match uh, on the rivalry in general uh, for ESPN which is going to be online in the next few weeks um, 
and uh, I realised quite quickly, of course, because they told me, you know, get some pictures and stuff if the goal goes in, try and get a picture of the celebrations. <laughs> Did our bollocks. You don't get your camera and start <laughs> taking pictures of Boca, Boca Juniors players celebrating a goal when, when they score away in, in River, um, which might perhaps have been possible if I'd been in the away end. In fact, the same stand, because I was in the away stand, they'd opened it up to home supporters. Um, it's a normal Super Classical. Uh, and so, yeah, it affects the atmosphere hugely, and it, and it also takes away the back and forth of the fans chanting across the pitch at each other, which Tay say used to do an entire half hour show on Sunday nights or, or Monday afternoons, um, going back over the weekend and, and the best chance between fan bases from one side of the stadium to the other, and they're not able to do that anymore. It, it's a great shame. Um, David's also sent us another question uh, which says I'm aware that in the past Racing have been in private ownership have there been any other clubs in a similar situation and with the financial difficulties in Argentine football what are the chances of other clubs becoming privately owned? Belgrano has something similar I I don't know if it's uh, owned by a private uh, company but uh, there is a same management mm. on it, and, and also Ferro had some Yeah, Ferro, experience. as you mentioned last week, has come yes. out of bankruptcy. Uh, when a club gets de- gets declared bankrupt here, they, they go into, uh, well, the receivership, I guess, is the, the UK term, uh, and Racing were run by a very unpopular <laughs> body of people. I think it's a massive understatement to use that. There, there was a syndicate, I don't know the, how, how you can say syndicate, it. Syndicate, yeah. A syndicate, um, yes called Blanky Celeste, who ran Racing's affairs for about, was it four or five years? Maybe not quite that long, maybe three or four. Um, and who were deeply unpopular with the fans. They, they, they did a load of, of very unpopular stuff at board level. Uh, the, the club, apart the, the team, were awful. Yes. <laughs> well. they, they drove them to the end, the verge of relegation. Um, and it was, I remember, I think I was here, in fact, when Blanky Celeste got kicked out. Uh, it was shortly after I moved here, if I remember correctly, and there were massive parties. Um, for that, for that, that's, that, that was when Marina, I think, was the first president after yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, other clubs being in a similar situation, one or two, but not many. It doesn't tend to, to fit in with how Argentine clubs, because they're run as clubs for the most part. Um, and, of course, the other thing is that, particularly the big sides, I mean, it would take a very, very, very brave judge to declare River or Boca or Independiente <laughs> bankrupt, the, the, there particularly was, after the experience. The there was a project was a that, that uh, of, of transform of uh, making all the clubs, uh, trying to make all the clubs like companies. I think that was no, I think no, it was Macri who Mauricio Macri, the hmm. uh, Buenos Aires uh, government chief, and possibly more importantly for this discussion, former president of Boca Juniors. Yes. Uh, who wanted to, to make something like that, that uh, to, to make uh, make professional areas or or, or, or yes to to make clubs be owned owned by by companies or or, or well like happens in, in lot of places. Most yeah. most Europe has that uh, uh, format, but in, in this case here is that uh, that project wasn't successful and well. No. Only two or three clubs or four have have that, that format. And regarding David's other question about the financial difficulties in Argentine football and whether those make um, whether those increase the chances of other clubs becoming privately owned, I don't think they do as such because it's not really financial difficulties within Argentine football. It's financial difficulties in Argentina. Uh, there's no money here at all. 
be it footballingly or footballistically or other forms of money um, there, there's none of it really apart from government dollar reserves that they're sitting on for as long as they can in order to pay off the, the vulture funds but uh, curiously it was something curious that uh, now Marcelo Tinelli for example has uh, is in, in uh, has a position at AFAS the chief of uh, on communications or something like that he manages communications mm. for, for AFA and there was a tweet uh, released by, by AFA saying that they are away, they were waiting for Football para todos to improve their the, 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 the money they pay for, for yeah they want an uh, actualization they, they yes. want an update to the contract to take into account the fact that inflation has gone up basically it's a higher rate than the government admit and obviously it's the government who are putting in the Football para todos money um And so yes, there, there are all kinds of issues which, in which uh, the economic situation of the country affects football. But I don't think they necessarily make it more likely that clubs are going to go into private ownership anytime soon. Um, Andrew, yep, that's uh, not what his surname. Just Andrew has written to me and has asked, funnily enough, a question that honestly, without being aware of this one, I've forgotten what the question was, and I had responded to him already. Um, uh, this wasn't the reason that I got into the discussion about how good River really were earlier but he says the current Riverside are breaking records left, right and centre and they play some wonderful football but in 2030 or maybe even 40 years from now do you think Argentines and indeed journalists like yourself will compare future Riversides to the great Riverside of 2014 are they that good to be remembered for decades to come or will they have to win trophies on the international continental stage assuming that they win the Primera, to be considered greater than past generations. I would say that there's no need to assume that they win the Primera, because, of course, they're in the Sudamericana at the moment, and they're in next year's Copa Libertadores, whatever happens, because they qualified for that by winning the league uh, a few months ago. Um, but again, it's a legitimate question, is it not? First of all, they're going to be compared in some way or another, because records remain in the record books, and, and so the next time River managed to go on this lengthier run, it will be said, you know, this is the, the longest they've gone unbeaten since 2014. Um, but more beyond that, what do we think? If they were to win back-to-back -back championships... Yeah, which is something that hasn't been done in Argentina for 10 years-ish. Since maybe. they did it. Since they, you're right, yeah, since yeah. they did it in 2008, wasn't it? So, yeah, six years ago, but much more recently than I thought. <laughs> Six or, or it was eight. Uh, I'm sure it was the cluster of 2008. Wasn't the, the Boca uh, twice that they became champion twice and then they were they had the opportunity to win uh, the, for third time, consecutive time, and they lost against Estudiantes in the final? That sounds correct because Boca have never won three straight championships. That's one stat that the River supporting party yes. has lost that, my way. But, but I think but it was 2006. Um, let's have a look at previous. According to Wikipedia, because yes, we are that shameless. Um, we've got past well bloody hell I've gone down past the set here we are uh, championships let's see going from most recent on River Plate San Lorenzo Vélez Newells Vélez Arsenal Boca Vélez Estudiantes Argentinos Banfield Vélez Boca River Lanús San Lorenzo Estudiantes Boca Boca that's two in a row and that was 2005-06 so yeah eight years ago yes. um, carry on Suppose that they they <laughs> go mad. Suppose they do go on, which is looking fairly likely. Certainly, the bookmakers would agree um, that that will happen. Then 
you know, but who knows how they'll do in the Libertadores next. That's the crucial one, isn't it? Because the yeah. Sudamericana would be fantastic. It would be River's first international championship since in, in 10 or 11 years, I think. I think the last one they won was the second ever Sudamericana or something. The Sudamericana's only been going for about 12 or 13 years. Um, it would be their first international trophy since then. But really, in terms of being remembered for years to come, it's the Libertadores. Mm. That's the key thing. I think if they were to follow it up with that, I'm not then suggesting that makes this team... Like much better like than they are, but I think yeah. they would certainly be remembered precisely. Yeah. Far more, you know, people would look back on this as a great team. When I think, as I said earlier, I don't think they necessarily are a great a great side. No, especially if you're going to start making comparisons with teams like and Le Machina. and not the same way, of course. But if they win next two matches, we'll also be remembered because of breaking. If they avoid defeat in the next two matches, yes, or yes, avoid the defeat. Uh, they will be the they will be the they'll, they'll equal yes. the current record they're all River Plate's all time club record unbeaten is uh, from 1922 and it's 31 matches and they're on 29 at the moment um, so yeah in some ways they'll be remembered because the record will be on the books it'll be on the books until it's broken again um, and, and so yes they'll be remembered and compared but I think as Peter says if they win the Libertadores then we can talk but if it's just domestic championships and even if the Copa Sudamericana comes their way possibly not if they were to win the Sudamericana unless they win the Libertadores six months later that would be actually quite historic unless, in South American unless they yeah. win unless they win the and, uh, this this tournament and this the next one mm. in which case will be oh, again three tournaments in a row and well Boca yeah. hasn't achieved that uh, but but well, the tournament will be long and would be uh, different, completely different. So but. I think that as well, the part of the the discourse about River at the moment is less about okay, yeah, sure, it's about setting these historical records and breaking breaking them and, and, and whatnot. But there's also just the fact that it finally feels after a good decade, I would say, during which even when they won the championship under Simeone in 2008, it didn't really feel like River winning the title it was a very tight defence it was a very low scoring side who relied heavily on Ortega and Buonanotte going forward um, it, it wasn't sort of glorious attacking football and suddenly that feels like it's coming back that's the, that's the other thing it, it feels like River you couldn't know how, River again yes, you didn't know how would they play now in this case you know how they are playing they have an idea and they they, they do it sometimes they can't sometimes they know they, they, they can't like yesterday and like on Sunday that they were they, they, the rivals who are better hmm. because and it's good they, for them to know that that they, they were uh, the rivals were playing better that, than than River but uh, but the one one other another good thing about them is that the personality and and and, and to stand when they are uh, when the other team is attacking them and they are like resisting with the, they they Sometimes they, it will be like that. It will happen, and you can't attack all the time. You can't be better all the time. And to stand that situation is what I think marks some difference, extra difference for this team. The personality they have and and, and how they react, because it's second time in a row that they are clearly team. The other team is better than they deserve the the lead, and somehow they 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 achieve. And turn around the result, and we can we can talk about luck in a way, in a fifty percent. We can. Perhaps. We can also talk about 
balls of solid yeah. iron, which is possibly just as much as the play as the nerve as much. I, I, I Which also has to take huge yeah. credit for for instilling that. I think in, in this. Alvarez mm-hmm. Valenta, as I said some time ago, uh, uh, or in, during this podcast. Uh, he came in uh, uh, because uh, Valjoni had to go out, and and he was the uh, in the pitch again, and and, and the, I think he he caught the caught the ball, went uh, to the to the other side, and almost he he get got into the box. Uh, he uh, passed the ball to to Teo Torres, I think. Who yeah. Well, he gave the ball to Sanchez. Uh, he tried to to make the cross, and what Shunke uh, headed to the net. Oh, this but is a good start, by the way, that I saw. So somebody actually keeps a statistic of these things. It's football. football Ninety-nine goals. Football XXI um, on on Twitter. That's the Spanish word football. Um, who's who's keeping stats of this historic river run as well as loads of others? And one that he put out is it, it was the 99th own goal that River benefited from in the professional era. So the next own goal. That scored four in inverted commas four River Plate uh, will be the one hundredth. <laughs> How on earth he's managed to count all those up? I don't know, but I think but, it deserves a shout out. But what it. I mean is that it was it was uh, that it was something River did in order to the, for the goal yeah, to sure. be scored. And in fact, if the cross had connected with a River head and, and River had put it in themselves, it would have been a really good goal as well. <laughs> the, the uh, against Rafaela, we could, well we could say about against Rafaela that there was a, something. Very strange uh, uh, between the both. I think it was right and left back from Rafaela that the ball kicked one, uh, uh, one of them, then the other one, and the ball was just for Rojas to score uh, because Conde, sure. the uh, Rafaela goalkeeper, was uh, didn't see the ball and was uh, uh, well uh, not prepared for, for receiving the shot. Mm. But I think there is, there is something, and Poncio talked about this. You have to to search the situations in order to then have you have luck because uh, of course you is isn't, isn't that Barbero shot the ball and the goalkeeper was distracted and it was a, a, a goal from Barbero for example. No. I think interestingly with with this River team or with River with great teams in general, there's there's usually some individuals within that team who for years later people talk about uh, you know he was. Fantastic! He was a, a real special talent, mm. and even you mentioned the Simeone side, which you were saying wasn't a particularly talented side. I'm not saying necessarily that Diego Bonanotta was a start. He wouldn't get into this current River team. No, but you mentioned. But they were so clearly reliant on him and Ortega. Ortega was a talent, of course. Yeah. Of it. Of not so much in 2008, which yeah. is part of what I'm doing down the team. In general, when you talk about someone like Ortega, you're talking about someone who. Within his generation, were as a reference point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no one in that Riverside. No one. You know what I'm saying? You don't think Carlos Sanchez is becoming a bit of a no. club favourite? Yeah, absolutely. And in the, and in the Argentine Primera is fantastic, yeah. and and this season has been incredible. But what I'm saying is, Ortega is a reference point in world football. I think. Sure. Yeah. I don't think if you go outside of the premiere of this season talk about Carlos Sanchez you're going to have people talking about Carlos Sanchez in, in, in the same way no absolutely although of course there are a few players in this River team who in a few years time no and that's the other point in similar that, hushed tones to Ortega today Cranavita yeah. not even playing at the moment well no and I think that's the thing is that 
it's interesting when you're talking about 20, 30 years time of remembering players. Yeah. Um, they might well people might certain players were born and yeah, came up later People on. might go, oh yeah, that Riverside had Granovic in. But realistically, if River win this title, Granovic was very important in the, in the first few yeah. games before he got injured. You're not really going to sit here and say, oh, he was crucial to them winning the championship this no, season. Um, maybe the same with Belanda. He could go on to be one of the best defenders of the generation if he moves you know who knows what yeah. happens but again he's not even played in this tournament but so. he, he comes in and he does it you know? oh, I, and uh, uh, yet it was as, as if he had been play, playing and, and do you know where from which side did Sanchez put the cross in order for Schunke to head it yeah, from, the left. from the left that's, uh, that's something that well makes him different or, or makes the team different to take the spaces and not to to be quiet and, and or, or standing in a position, but to move and that mobility is, I think, one of the keys of this team. Indeed. Lest we get too river heavy, we shall move on to a few <laughs> other questions because it seems like we've not talked about anything else this week. Uh, Ian Matheson asks, asks, don't know what happened to my A there as it came out my mouth, sorry. Uh, first of all, is there much of an internet fan culture in Argentina and do you have radio phone-ins similar to the UK? To the first question, yes, there very much is, an awful lot. And to the second question, no, not really, to my knowledge anyway. Do you have radio phone-ins, Andres? No. Not really. You have lots of radio shows, but not so many where fans are encouraged to come in and have their say, fortunately, it must be said, because five lives are bloody impossible. And question number two, which Peter's already seen on the screen, is laughing at, and which I don't think Andres is going to understand at all. If you do have radio phone-ins, who is Argentina's Robbie Savage? Andres is looking at me with precisely the kind of look I was expecting him to give me after reading that out. He doesn't have a clue what that means. Uh, Peter, would you like to attempt to answer the question? <laughs> well, I think the fact that the first part of this question was was no <laughs> means that we, there isn't one. Um, and there there are many good... Do we have anybody who's essentially a performing monkey and, uh, in Argentina? In Argentina. Uh, so many. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. But uh, nobody who quite reaches savages. Um, levels, unfortunately. Uh, Ian has another question which is rather easier to answer, which is Pablo Aymar was linked to River earlier this year, but it didn't happen due to injury. Has there been any update on his progress and is the move likely soon? We've not had much of an update, but the last time we did, which was probably a month or two ago, it seemed like, yeah, at the end of the year, once he's attained match fitness, he's probably going to be a member of the side next season, no? Yes, but I think there there is no use to to, to mention. Yes, it uh, could be, but uh, if he's really good fit, could yes. could be some some useful. Uh, I mean, uh, he could adapt to this system. But would you have him over Piscolici, who's what four years younger? He's been playing much more recently and much more regularly. And, and, and he will he will make uh, Tomas Martinez not to have. Some minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'd, he'd be great as a, an older player who knows the club and is legendary. Obviously, very much like Ortega, as Peter was saying a minute ago. Um, he'd, he'd be great for the younger players to learn from. But if he's going to stop those younger players from getting game time, I'm not quite so certain. Although, of course, next year River are going to have the league and the Libertadores, and the Libertadores is a lot of matches in a very short space of time. So it could be that if they've got unless three numbers, that proves useful. Unless there is an arrangement for him to play only Copa Libertadores, for example, mm. uh, which could be interesting. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's difficult. Uh, my friend Johnny, who has recently returned to Buenos Aires, asks: Did Bonji fall or was he tripped? This is the Argentinos Juniors question. I had to promise. Well, today results. Well, exactly, yeah, because uh, Claudio Borgi stepped down as Argentinos manager. We discussed Argentinos, of course, last week because Neil was here. Uh, Borgi, no, he didn't step down, did he? He was sacked as Argentinos manager um, after the weekend. Did he? No, he was. He, no, he, he didn't. No, he no, said, no, this is a because Raquel may had said to him, "If they sack you, I'm going as well." And yeah, he didn't. They didn't sack him. He left. His words were, "It was a yes. non-negotiable." Yes. Resignation or something worse those effects. But Raquel is still there, isn't he? Yeah. And uh, this question, I, I think that Johnny asked this question before, possibly yeah, at half did, time. Yeah. Possibly at half time, but uh, I'm told because I missed the match myself this this afternoon. Uh, I know this happened. I knew it was happening anyway. Uh, this isn't something I've been told. Uh, Nueva Chicago. Nueva Chicago. No, what am I talking about? Boca uh, Unidos. Thank you. Boca Unidos, not Juniors. Unidos. Um, played in Corrientes against Argentinos Juniors. It was a match that was postponed from a couple of weeks ago because of flooding. Um, in, of course, Argentinos' first match since Borgi left. Argentinos have got relegated under Borgi. Argentinos have started the season in the second division very poorly under Borgi to the extent that they're struggling to get promotion in a league in which half of the teams are going to get promoted. And they won 4-0 away from home. Um, did either of you see it? Yeah, so, well, I saw the second half when I got in. Yeah, and it was... Is it as convincing as it sounds? Yeah, to be honest. I mean, it looked like a bit like a practice match, to be honest. I mean, Raquel may never run as much, but Bocorinos <laughs> didn't seem to run around much either. I mean, it's a very, uh, very slow game, but um, from what I saw, they were good value for the win. Uh-huh. Um, and to put into context the 4 0 win, uh, <laughs> I can think have scored six goals all season. Yes. Prior to today. Um, only ever scoring one in a match, so to win four nil on yes, the first yeah. game since Borgi left is um, their results <laughs> since, quite the start, since the start of the season. To to put it into a little bit more context, let's read out every result Argentinos have got um, so far this season. Argentinos' score comes first, whether they're home or away. In these first one was a one nil win at home to Boca Unidos. Funnily enough. Um, since when we've had one one nil two one nil one nil 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 two. 0-2-0-1-1-0-0-0-1-1-2-4-0 that doesn't go an awfully long way to not suggesting that the squad maybe weren't happy with Borgi does it? or is it just that the new man who's come in whose name we haven't got up on this uh, score sheet Um, Gorosito of course it's Gorosito I knew that I thought you were going to hug him there we go got it that is a big mosquito isn't it Apologies for the clapping. Um, is this just something that happens? Manager changes, sudden upturn in performance. It happened with Boca, not Boca Unidos, but Boca Juniors uh, when Bianchi left. Or is it the new manager coming in and maybe just motivating the players a bit better and, and pushing on, and being a bit less stuck in his ways? I mean, if, if Raquel May said that to, to Borghi, if you're going to, if you're fired and I'm going to go, then it mm. would very much suggest that. At least Raquel May, who you just thought would be the voice within the dressing room, yeah. was with him, which makes it. But Raquel May scored today. Yeah, yeah, no, it, which um, makes it more bizarre though that if that was the case, that oh, thank God he's gone. Now we up our game. Indeed, I've, I've, I don't have much truck with that theory anyway. No. I just put the uh, Next question, after not really answering Johnny's, um, he was tricked. 
probably by the board rather than by the players. I, I think um, he, he was forced well, to resign rather than uh, yeah, yeah. Free. But then again, the, if it if it wasn't who it was, then he probably would have been not even tripped, but just thrown out. Yes. several weeks earlier. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, uh, Johnny incidentally is, is the friend uh, with whom I attended that uh, Argentinos four Independiente three game when Independiente scored their previous uh, Olimpico. So there we go. Gary Al Smith asks, what's on the menu for Diego's birthday? Because Diego Maradona turns 54 years old today. The answer is nothing. He has no friends here. Some beef. Beating his girlfriend up and being the video. It's not that we thought he was a particularly nice person before, of course, but I'm in a particular mood to not give him anything today. So yeah, happy birthday, Diego, but go away. Um, I I think there is beef, which in Spanish means bife, which is a... Kicking on, well, uh, uh, I've got you slap in the face. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. Um, <laughs> maybe one of those. Uh, Scott Monroe asks, I watched the Looking for Buenos Aires documentary, which was brilliant. Is there much remembrance for the Monumental disaster? I assume that he's referring to Puerta Dossi. Uh, mm. I have not seen the said documentary, although I have heard of it, and I've been very lazy about watching it. Um, Puerta Dossi is a stadium disaster that happened in Argentina in 1968. I was writing about this the other day for my Super Classical article. I should be able to remember it. Uh, 23rd of June 1960. Come on, Wikipedia. Load. 1968. uh, When 71 Boca fans lost their lives during the second half of the Super Classical. They were leaving. We've spoken about it before, in fact. They were leaving... Um, going down, down the stairs and they found one of the doors hadn't been opened and there was a big crush essentially um, there is not very much remembrance for it no no. to the point where the spot isn't even commemorated because in the late 70s when the Monumental was redone for the World Cup all of the gate numbers and letters and stuff were changed and the entrances were redone so the location of Puerto Dosse I've got no idea where it is which bit of the stadium it's in I don't even know what the away end now is the same as the away stand then um, it's not really remembered the investigation into the causes of it was inconclusive and it's never been taken up again uh, very much nothing like the same level as say Hillsborough in the United Kingdom um, or, or uh, the Ibrox disaster or Heysel or anything like that it's uh, in spite of the fact that 71 people died I think it's the, the highest death toll of any stadium disaster in South America although there might have been the, the one in Lima might have killed more in the 60s or 70s can't remember um, but the answer is no, essentially. <laughs> there is not much remembrance for it. Uh, Toby Millard asks, of the names being linked, who do you think is most likely to succeed Luis Segura as AFA president next year? Uh, we were talking about this before recording. I think that it will depend uh, more, more on if the statute will be changed or not, because up to now... It's looking like it's not going to be changed. Yes, because, uh, because the government don't want it to be changed, which incidentally is something that other football associations who aren't Argentina might get thrown out to FIFA for. So what? A, what a FIFA not? Anyway, carry on, Andres. Sorry, no, I'm well, quite uh, angry about that. There are not a not ago. a lot of, of candidates. There are only a few, according to that statute, which means which uh, says that uh, any 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 board member or director that want to attend for a, an election have to be at least four years on their teams uh, on any position and 
For example, Lamens, Tinelli, Donofrio, eh, well, the only one is Ancelisi, Perón, the only one is Ancelisi, the could attend for an election. I don't see him being the president of the, of AFA because simply because I don't think he's doing good job at Boca. But uh, ex excluding them would be it's, uh, it's difficult to see any. I mean, we've spoken in the last yes. couple of months about the power vacuum at the AFA. Um, it's difficult to see who it's going to be. And Toby also asks if we had a vote, who would we choose? I haven't got a clue. I mean, especially given the statutes thing, but also even if the statute gets gets overturned and Tinelli and or Lamens or Beron or Donofrio, whoever, are allowed to stand, we don't know enough about them as directors yet. Okay, Donofrio and Tinelli and Lamens are all doing a fairly yes. decent job at their clubs. But, it has to be said. But but we know that still been directors. Grondona before dying said that he wanted a a president for uh, to be elected. A president from a small team, not a, not River Boca. Yeah, but Donofrio said a lot of things. Donofrio said it would be wonderful if one day Veron would be my successor. And yet Veron, by to all intents and purposes, appears to be a much more decent person than Julio Grandona. So what Grandona necessarily says, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Is, is Veron a much more horrible man than we've taken him for? Or is Grandona aware of how popular Veron is and is trying to ride that way? What Grandona wanted was to make football, of course, not not a, a really, but he said that he wanted more democratic, democratic football, more, more federal, to have... Yeah, because that's a for, greater power base for him. To, it's very Peronist. have more power, yes. And a very Peronist way of running the AFA. And if you don't know what Peronism is, then don't worry, because not as anybody. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. Um, essentially, if, if I had a vote, I don't know who I'd choose. Honestly, at this point, it's a year away. We're going to see a lot more stuff. Feel free to ask us the question again in eight to ten months' time, Toby. But at the moment, we can't give a satisfactory answer, I'm afraid. And finally, Philip Briggs says, Is there any chance of Teo... Gutierrez, coming to Europe in January, or is he too high risk? Can I answer that very, very briefly? I think yes to both of those questions. There is every chance, and he's definitely too high risk. Um, more seriously, I think that there's a very much bigger chance that he's going to stay with River for the Copa Libertadores, which is what Donofrio has claimed. He's said Teo's going to play the Libertadores for us. Um, in which case it'll be a bit of a shame because the Libertadores might end up getting split again by the Copa America. The thing is that he has been linked yesterday or, or the day after, before yesterday with Sevilla. Oh, was he? Oh, Sevilla. of course, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yes, which means spelling for Sevilla is, anyway, they, uh, unless they, 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 uh, they qualify for Europa League or something like that, it won't be no sense if, if he has the possibility to play Copa Libertadores with River. Particularly well, given that, as we've mentioned, they're yes. probably one of the strongest sides in the continent at the moment. They'll be among the favourites. It is also true that he has 30 years ago and he won't have any more chances if he... Yeah, yeah I was going to say, yeah, footballing-wise... But he has already played in Turkish Turkish football and, and, and Portuguese also. So. Sorry about Portuguese, let's look him up. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, this could be his last chance to go to Europe and, you know... Maybe La Liga would be more high-profile, better suited, perhaps. What is what is sure is that there won't be any team. Uh, His former clubs, sorry to interrupt, yes. Andres, are Barranquilla in the Colombian second division, 
Uh, Atletico Junior, of course, in the Colombian First Division. Trabzonspor in Turkey in the First Division. Racing, Lanús, then Cruz Azul, and currently River. So having played in Turkey and Mexico, at least, he's not going to be... I don't think if he moves, it's not going to necessarily have to be for money. Uh, because both of those leagues are, are leagues that pay dollar, in, especially in comparison with Argentina. No but, doubt it would be lovely to go to Spain and get a bit more euros. The thing uh, is whether River will be euros, will be satisfied with the, 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 the sum of money that will be offered for his player that has 30 years old, mm. which won't be 10 million euro. Will be 5 or 6 at least, I think dollars, million, but not more than that. Than that. Then you need to factor in the Teo Gutierrez twat factor. Exactly, and which is it, why Fenerbahce is he too high a risk yeah. and why I don't, I don't think, I don't think he would be too high a risk. Suppose he finishes this championship as the leading scorer by a long way. Yeah, um, a European team comes into him seriously with the money. And some on European the table. team are bound to, to yeah. show interest. They always do, and they don't necessarily care about the fact that Mister Player who wants pulled a gun on no. his teammate at full time of a, of a derby. No. Um, I don't think they'll don't think they'll care about that at all. <laughs> no, indeed. I mean, it's something that will put off maybe the very top clubs who care about their image a lot, but it's not something that's going to put off the vast majority of the clubs yeah. in Europe. And uh, and why should it? No, for that reason, that's a semi rhetorical question. By the way, the last bit absolutely should because he's insane and might kill one of his teammates. <laughs> oh yeah, but sadly, I don't. I actually don't think it would put off anyone um, for the reason. Um, and if they do come in for him could be a problem for River keeping hold of him yeah um, arguably at the moment I'm going to put it out there Rodrigo Mora is in better form than Teo Teo started the season in fantastic form he's still not he's not playing badly but Rodrigo Mora who turned 27 yesterday incidentally and celebrated his birthday with that goal uh, to make it 1-1 against the Studiantes on Wednesday evening um, Rodrigo Mora is uh, probably in better form at the moment and is also three years younger so what I'm saying is if you're if you're River and you're going into next year's Libertadores and clubs come in for Mora and they're coming for Tail and you decide we're gonna try we're gonna do everything we can to keep hold of one of these guys and we're gonna cash in on the other, you're cashing on Tail, right? Surely. He's a year older, he's insane. Whereas Mora sorry, he's three years older, uh, yeah, insane, but I guess whereas Mora isn't mm, insane. Maybe then you'd be looking at it. Short term, but also to what extent are they playing off each other and helping each other's good yeah. form? If you change tail for somebody else, it might be a better striker in itself, and then it does more. Do you think Grisi, well. Simeone, Boshep, and Mora are enough to play for somebody? Well, I presume they're going to bring somebody else back if that's the case. Personally, even if Mora is in better form, if I was going, if I had the option of one of the two for the for a Libertadores campaign, I would prefer the other. There we go. Peter's <laughs> but yesterday 100% legally binding yesterday the one that showed a, a, not a good behaviour was Sanchez which who was anyway oh no but it has to be set. Yeah. sorry Carlos Sanchez got sent off with 7 minutes to go against the Siliantes I've forgotten about that the first the first yellow card was a yellow card no argument whatsoever the second yellow card he got booked for diving when the bloke had bashed into his back and pushed him over Carlos Sanchez falls yeah. over which anybody would do in that situation because he'd just been pushed over and the referee gives him a yellow card for diving and sends him off. Well, it's true so that he, he... You're quite right, he should have reacted by saying, come on, referee, are you serious? And then walked off the pitch calmly. But, but it's true that Abar had to comp- some, give some compensation because of the not, not giving the penalty and 
Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. But still, I, I thought it was, it was very harsh. Um, the next music now, ladies and gents, that you hear is Mystic Sam's theme tune. And when we come back, I shall tell you what's going to happen in the Argentine Primera this weekend. So don't go anywhere. This weekend we have some interesting looking fixtures and they begin with Banfield versus Olimpo de Bahia Blanca. I'm going to go for a Banfield victory, which I think is Banfield's first win in something like five matches, I think. Um, Godoy Cruz against Belgrano. Lots and lots and lots of goals, obviously. I think Godoy Cruz should win because Belgrano is crap away. But, as we saw last weekend, Godoy Cruz defence are capable of fucking up absolutely anything. Gimnasia versus Racing Club. Racing to get an away victory there in the friendly derby because the fan bases are very friendly with one another. Well, the Barras aren't anyway, not the fan bases necessarily. And could uh, two players could be uh, well? I don't think Bo Gustavo Bo will be in conditions, mm. good conditions. But if if he wouldn't, that would be uh, could be brothers. Playing well, they're brothers, are they? I didn't realise that. Gimnasia, in him, there, there is the, the bow, yeah, the yeah, bow yeah, brother is... I didn't realise that was related. Oh, that makes sense, but it's a fairly unusual surname. I don't know why I haven't considered it. Uh, Quilmes versus Vélez Sarsfield. I think Vélez ought to win that one. Uh, Rosario Central against Atletico de Rafaela. I think it's an Atletico victory. I'm going for lots of away wins this week. Tigre versus Lanús. It's another away win for Lanús. Um, San Lorenzo versus Boca Juniors. I think will be a draw. San Lorenzo are doing very poorly at the moment and Boca are doing very well but San Lorenzo of course are the only one of the big five who have a positive record and against Boca and Boca will of course uh, put uh, very 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 uh, reserves team. well depending on how this game this evening which is kicking off in half an hour goes of course if they lose heavily it could affect it either way couldn't it they might end up putting out reserves they might think well that tie's lost anyway so who cares um, River versus Estudiantes I think River are going to get a second victory in just over four days in that one. And Arsenal de Sarandí versus Independiente. I'm going for a draw, Peter. I'm very sorry. No, I mean, given Arsenal, Arsenal's um, home record, it's yes. a fairly decent They play at the... against the away, but bizarrely... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They, they play in Sarandí? They play yeah. in Sarandí. Ah, it's second consecutive match for, yeah, Sar- yeah. for Arsenal. Yeah. Arsenal. yeah. Um, and finally on Monday evening Defensa Justicia versus Newell's Old Boys I think is also going to be a draw um, thoughts on those ones gents? Mm. any ones that you're looking particularly forward to apart from obviously at River for Andres and Independiente for Peter I don't, I, don't, I don't think it would be so easy for Lanús I am between the Lanús victory or the draw so if I had to yeah I found it difficult as well I didn't Tigre, as we say, have, have lost two of the last three, so I'm going towards yeah. Lanús. But um, it wouldn't be very surprising if we're next week talking about River being more than four points clear at the top. Equally, you never know. Estudiantes might upset the apple cart a bit and not lose <laughs> in the Monumental. Become only the second club in the last seven months to do so after Boca. Um, but yes, it looks like another interesting round of games to me, at least from here. Tried to sell it to you because I want you to listen to the podcast again next week, folks. Um, predictions, gents, for Boca versus Cerro Porteño. 
bearing in mind that by the time this podcast goes online, our listeners will already know whether you're right or wrong. It's in La Boca, mm. as both of you know, because you have to cross the avenue leading down there to um, to get there, and it was already full two hours before the game. I think it will be one nil here for Boca and two nil for Sor Bordeño in Paraguay. Oh, that's a very detailed prediction. I was going to say, that's a bold one. I think it might finish in a draw tonight. Yeah. Next week's episode may or may not be recorded after the first, after the second leg. Both second legs, by the way, for River and Boca, are both taking place next Thursday. Uh, at the moment, behind me in the match I've been paying no attention to whatsoever, it's currently San Paolo 4, Emelec 2. San Paolo were 3 0 up at half time um, in, the 80, in the 90th minute, in fact, um, of their first leg. And that one plus the other non Argentine one, which was played last night, which was Atletico Nacional against. Vallejo. Thank um, you, Cesar Vallejo of Peru. Um, Nacional 1 1 0. Thank you, Andres. Yes, I've forgotten. It was it, was it Sherman Cardenas who scored the goal. Don't remember the, 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 the score. I think one. it was Sherman Cardenas. Um, I wasn't watching the Always game, but I did hear when he has a good game. Just yes, football manager, wonderful player, <laughs> and not football manager as well. Um, but yeah, the the San Paolo Emelec will play um, uh, Sherman Cardenas or uh, Cesar Vallejo um, in their semi in one semi final, and the other semi final, of course, will be the winners of Boca versus Cerro Porteño against River versus. Estudiantes, so we know what that means, don't we? Potentially, um, I do have a feeling that Cerro Porteño are the slightly more likely victors, though, given what a struggle Boca had getting past Capiata, who really didn't look very good at all in either leg. <laughs> Much as I wanted them to win, I have to say they looked a bit shit, uh, and Boca struggled to overcome them. So I have a feeling that Cerro Porteño are going to get the better of them over this tie, but we'll see. And we'll be back next week to tell you, listeners, Peter. I uh, don't know if you want to mention it, so you might want to cut this out, but um, Mauro Serati chose to play for Chile. Oh, I saw that on your blog. I, I checked your Twitter feed just before you got here to see whether you were actually going to turn up or not. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I learned it from you. Mauro Sarate, ladies and gents, and I won't cut it, um, has chosen to play for Chile, according to his brother, Rolly Sarate, yeah. Rolando, um, one of his many brothers. Uh, no guessing what his parents got up to when the nights were cold uh, yeah he, he's going to be playing for Chile instead of Argentina because he's accepted that he's not going to get a call up but I think as you said on your blog undoubted talent but no difficulty at all in seeing why he's simply not going to get to play for Argentina even Icardi who hasn't been called up I think he had more credentials yeah. in order to be called up so. Icardi's going to be as well Sarate's what 27 exactly. and Icardi's 23 thing, 24 yeah. maybe oh, no like less than that he's 21 I think 21 yeah. bloody hell is he? Really? Yeah. Mal Ricardi? Yeah, he's younger than... Don't let his uh, antics fool you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's much younger than, than his wife. I didn't realise he was only 21. Bloody hell, he is. 21 and a half. Yeah. I'm 21 and a half. Um, sorry, I'm saying that in the manner of a small child to make fun of him, but that's frightening. Um, on that note, ladies and gents, we're going to go away now and leave you in peace. Uh partly because Boca are kicking off in 25 minutes um, and partly because we've already been recording for over an hour and a half so we hope you've enjoyed this episode and for now please join us again next week it's goodbye from Andres goodbye goodbye from Peter goodbye and goodbye from me goodbye <laughs>